Hi there, and welcome to the latest episode of Blaze Explains. This, I think, is going to be the last one I record in the guest bedroom of our apartment here. We are moving. I suspect the next one will be recorded in Amsterdam and should have a slightly less tinny audio quality for you there. We'll have a soundproofed room to speak into and then we may be recording from other places in Europe as I take advantage of the lockdown and move in between our various family bubbles. This week, I want to talk about media. This originally started with, well, it started with trends that many, many, many people are describing within the media industry, but also every industry, which is sort of the point. And the piece I wrote, in our brave new world, all is media, media is all. I wrote this at the end of April, so lockdown was really quite intense then. And this is my opening paragraph. Adapt or die is an old saying, but we've never measured company life expectancy in days. Those who do not go hell-bent into the new world won't see a slow death. They will just cease to be another casualty of the virus. Even looking back now, those were really quite dark days. Well, we're still in them, but still. COVID-19 is not just setting fire to loose ends at companies. It is burning the fat we were going to get round to trimming just to keep the lights on. The light at the end of the tunnel is there, the torch finally firmly in the hands of revolutionaries. The overriding drive is now for transformation, for adaptation, for survival, and maybe, just maybe, for capitalization. Welcome to the real digital age where no one ever leaves the house. Well, I mean, it is quite a powerful image there, but it's one that I mean. The more I've spoken to people since, and this is how we've ended up doing a topic on it, is to understand where business is going. I think you have to understand where it's been, but you have to understand how media works and how the media world works. So yeah, that was a really, yeah, a really interesting um, answer. I'm quite proud of it, but I, th- I, I meant it with, with some passion. I did really mean it. And that's because I think this is now becoming a self-evident truth. How you look, feel and sound online is just not just everything. Now it is everything. Put that in capitals. Digital media, including branding assets, will define our future as much as it currently does our everyday lives. Being an old stick in the mud post-COVID is downright dangerous. Companies will be entirely evaluated on a playing field many have neglected for years. They are right to look into the abyss and wonder if there is a way out. Moving now into the meat, this is how we're going to go through it. I'm going to try to walk you through this topic. Looking at stories, it's always a fun way to do it. I'm going to start with Reader's Digest Association. Reader's Digest, founded in 1922 by the Wallaces. Its first international edition is published in London in 1938. It really is a prestigious magazine. In its highest circulation, Reader's Digest boasted that circulation could reach more than 160 million and that it had been translated into 35 languages. In 1950, the first condensed book under the name Reader's Digest first appeared. I believe that's the Reader's Digest review, but uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. Reader's Digest 
The American version did not accept advertising until 1955. Talk about sales. It didn't accept any alcoholic beverage advertisement until the late 1970s and never ran a cigarette ad ever. I remember learning this uh, when I was at journalism school in the States, spoken with some reverence. In 1984, after the death of Lila Wallace, the company was spearheaded by George Groon. It wasn't doing well, so Groon made what he thought was necessary decisions, and he took the company public, initiated a cost-cutting program, including closing down international publications that were not profitable, cutting employees from 10,000 to 7,500. So 25% reduction in staff, cut cut unprofitable international publications. Sounds like it was, sounds like a good decision. Well, Grun succeeded. The profitability of the company increased sevenfold in five years. Reader's Digest continued to change pace, following up some changes around the world. For example, when the Berlin Wall fell, the company started to give out Reader's Digest in Germany. It also entered the Eastern European market and Russia with the Iron Curtain down. By 1995, Grun had retired and James P. Schlatt took over his position. 1995 was also the year Reader's Digest expanded, teamed up with Dove Audio, to make audiobooks. In 98, Thomas Ryder replaced James Schlatt, and he found out the company was not doing so well. In 2007, Reader's Digest was taken private again by Ripplewood Holdings for $1.6 billion. Two years after going private, the company filed its first bankruptcy blaming weaker advertising revenues and the debt load incurred in the deal to take it private. Its second bankruptcy look, bankruptcy in 2013 was filed to the court. Reader's Digest said it had more than $1.1 billion in assets and $1.2 billion in liabilities. The company continues to publish through the bankruptcy. Now, here's a quote. More than 70% of its secured bondholders agreed to convert $465 million of remaining senior notes to equity under a prearranged restructuring deal, which it hopes to complete within six months. This would enable the company to exit Chapter 11 with $100 million in gross debt and 80% reduction. Bob Guth, the chief executive, said in a statement, the Chapter 11 process, which will facilitate a significant debt reduction, will enable us to continue to redefine our business by focusing our resources on our strong North American publishing brands, which have shown a new vitality. So a statement here from Bob Guth, the chief executive at the, at the time, saying the Chapter 11 process, which will facilitate a significant debt reduction, will enable us to continue to redefine our businesses by focusing our resources on our strong North American publishing brands, which have shown a new vitality. Okay, so loads to unpack there. So this is one of the oldest stories in uh, global publishing, certainly esteemed um, uh, US magazine publishing, Reader's Digest, almost doesn't have any equals in terms of it, it, its kind of brand recognition. And it's very interesting, you know, chap- the chapter 11 process, the bankruptcy process here is obviously this is a technical process to enter into in order to make massive changes at a company that has loads of legacy costs and so on and so forth. And and they do sort that out. They find the solution because people still know that they can, there is value to be had from the company. And so they are, they, they restructure it, sort out its debt, and it's able to continue to thrive. And it's worth considering that, look, it's now two years away from being 100 years old. Reader's Digest, 1922. It's 2020 right now. 
that's coming up on a century and it's gone through iterations, bankruptcies, it's gone through international expansion, it's closed those down, it's secured in. And what obviously is also important to remember is that in its North American operations, it went very digital, it prioritized digital. So this is almost the king or queen or of, of print publishing manages to survive. They redo the way that they do things. They're still alive. And I think some of their valuations are probably un slightly unfair. I think a lot of old media company valuations are a bit unfair because of legacy costs. They're probably, I think, if you had them restructured, will be worth more. Or if you found some way to exit that, um, they'd be worth a lot more because they all tend to be rather undervalued, in, in, in my opinion. They're, a, they're a, a mini revolution away from being unbelievably valuable still, in my opinion. But the lesson of the story is here is if you're willing to ride these painful changes, you can go through the enormous opportunities, expansions, and then strategic contractions that Reader's Digest went through and to survive. Because what is true at the end of all of it is it still has its market. It is still struggling with the arrival of the digital age and how to handle it, but it is getting a handle on it because it has something to offer. And that's just a lesson as to how someone within the media industry has actually had to adapt to life in the digital world, which is still only just beginning. And that's kind of the point. Adapt or die. It adapted and it didn't die. Change is inevitable, not only in life, but in business too. Change nowadays, it's at warp speed. As long as the people and the, te and the technology are progressing, so should the businesses around them. And Hughes defined change as any alteration in the status quo. It is the start of a revolution, may it be small or not. If they do not adapt to their environment, the competitive edge they offer to their customers will likely be gone. Well, here's the thing. It's not just that you can't sit pretty if you work in media. It's that you have to be constantly innovating and working to stay ahead. And the key point is that nowadays people expect to see a presence from you. So that presence has to be visible when they find you online. And that's where media comes in. Even when you're sitting pretty. Change, then, is the key theme here. And this is why communication is so important. But let's just drill into this a bit more. Here's Beer's model theory of change movement, how customers think. A, mobilize commitment to change through joint diagnosis. Develop a shared vision of how to organize. That's B. C. Foster consensus, competence, and commitment to a shared vision. D. Spread the word about the change. Key that. E. Institutionalize the change through formal policies. F. Monitor and adjust in response to problems. How should a company know when they, when they need to change their goal, vision, mission, way of doing business? If there's no improvement in the number of sales and revenue... If there's a lack of enthusiasm from employees. So you can tell these things internally and you can tell it externally from your sales figures, which you're obviously always going to be looking at. One of the things that we've had to do and I've touched on is I've basically had to launch a massive soft sell campaign for our, for my company is they have to be present on LinkedIn. We have to be publishing and showing that we can do what we say we can do, we have to publish some video, although obviously there's no real need to publish masses and masses of video production if it's going to be too expensive. So it's like, what can you do 
that is still affordable. So you can shoot a video and we will and, and, and we've created videos, pinned them and put them up before and we're going to make more. We'll make another one in August that's more about how we are pushing for, for our new clients. But basically what we're doing is we're putting thought pieces out there. We're putting interesting pieces that we find online that we think are relaxing, that we think are engaging and relevant to our audience and of value to them. If they read what we wrote or what we shared, did they gain something from it? So look, you look to your internal indications like your employees, enthusiasm, and then of course, what your sales are and what your revenue are. And it's something I'm constantly worrying about. But the thing that's done the most for improving my my staff sense of comfort, because we are still a young company, and also my confidence in presenting to uh, potential clients is actually put it, pushing our message out there. Obviously, the challenge is I must balance my marketing time and my sales time and make sure I put those together effectively. And that is just simply my, my challenge. But the reality is the di- a dinosaur is one of the most widely used metaphors these days. After all, from the IA Business Journal, if a firm can't or won't adapt, it's straight to the dustbin of business oblivion. That's absolutely true. That's the pressure on managing your time properly, on not losing any of it. It really is that, that crucial. You can't, no matter how good things are going, and there's so many examples of, of when People get things wrong and then suddenly overnight they haven't planned and they're rushing to play catch up just to survive because they lost that advantage. It's definitely what keeps me up at night sometimes. Rapid change is a two-edged sword, a threat but also an opportunity. Adapt to rapid change better than competitors and you can make great strides. Ignore rapidly changing circumstances and expect to go the way of the dinosaur. Adapting may be difficult, but it is not impossible from the Ivy Business Journal. That's so important. You have to figure it out. You have to commit to it. It's like the things that you in your life that you could change today if you did them better tomorrow. It's always, always a risk. You can't afford not to do it. Based on data from the Pew Research Center, the number of weekday print circulation fell 12% compared to 2019, and Sunday print circulation fell by 13%. Media is changing all the time. That's what Reader's Digest learned. According to an independent report, the New York Times gained substantial subscribers in in digital circulation, 27%, while the Wall Street Journal gained 23%. Well, we know this, that everybody's going online. What's interesting is they are willing to pay for high-quality journalism. It's also one of the reasons, because it's easy to cancel these subscriptions, why the New York Times got in so much trouble for how it did not predict the 2016 election well. I paid the New York Times. I read it religiously. I held it in such high esteem. But when it promote, when it projected 92% Hillary to win the day before, and it only increased, that number had just been going up and up and up and up. And years before, when I was in the States, I remember thinking, well, these towns kind of in the middle of America that have just fallen into dis- decay, they're rusting. It's very miserable. It's full of addiction and joblessness. And one side of the aisle appears to be pitching jobs and the other side appears to be pitching 
to a part of the country that they don't need to win because they'll already win it anyway. And and then the fact that the New York Times was able to just completely miss this, uh, I lost a hell of a lot of faith in it. And I cancelled my subscription. And I'll bring it back. And I can't... I, it's not that I'm knocking it. I felt betrayed. Because I really held... I really held them in such high regard, having learned their style and 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 implemented it in, in how I wrote, that I felt like my friend betrayed me in a way. So big rises in paywall subscribers are an important thing to remember. It also means if as long as you switch to digital, you can actually start to kill your print overheads, which is how the problem will start with newspaper. But I've got a really big axe to grind here. We'll get to it in a second. Newspaper revenue. It's down dramatically from 2008 to 2018. Yeah, I know. We could not stop hearing about it. From $37.8 billion to $14.3 billion in 2018, 62%. God knows how much further because of COVID. And when I hear, and and we'll just finish this section of stats quickly. Employment in the US newspaper industry fell 47% from 2008 to 2018. Yes. Okay. Now, listen here. When I hear people saying, News media is dying. Journalism is dying. No, it isn't. It's going through a change. When I hear media entrepreneurs who are good at raising money but don't know anything about media and how actually media functions and is built, um, talking about how the newspaper industry is dead, I know immediately they don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand it. News that is verifiable, vettable, and actually informative is part of human society no matter what the transference of that information is absolutely critical there'll always be a place for it the difference is that our workflows and our processes are so vastly outstripped and outdated by the digital revolution that we are going to go through this massive period of change it doesn't mean that these companies are actually worth what they're apparently worth according to the market now it doesn't mean the industry is not worth it it is it is it's almost like there's frozen capital in here, but it's going to get free. It will get free. That's my mission is to make it free. But the, the thing that you want to remember is if you hear a new media entrepreneur talk about anything, any of this stuff being dead, you need to ask yourself immediately whether you want to invest in someone that is betting that the media by which humans have exchanged information has changed. Yet the fact that they do has never changed in all human history, if they're willing to bet against that and think they know better than that and that, that it's going to change, they're dead wrong. What they tend to do is they, you shouldn't invest in them. They tend to focus on that they have a new delivery method or that they can verify it, but they don't know how to put the thing together. And so when you start to pick holes in it, their way of so defense mechanism is just to say that that part of this industry and that method of it is totally dead, gone, and is now useless. That's their way of invalidating it. But of course, what happens is these companies don't make any money. And then that's how they fizzle away or become something else. And there's a real problem here of lack of knowledge. And this is why I've avoided fundraising is because funds tend to go to people who learned how to fundraise but don't have not been incentivized or learned how to run a business and in media don't understand how to how media functions how its production functions what its core elements are how you can rejig a workflow how you can maximize it 
And then even when they are from media, they don't believe that there's any way that you can rejig it because that's against their vested interest. Very few people can really figure that out. Again, that's why I've, I've bet on myself. But it just tells you how far our future reality is from ourselves right now. I say all this in a sort of passionate way, and it's because I am passionate about it and I care about it. I've devoted my life to it and I, and I absolutely believe it and I will, will defend my beliefs really absolutely right to the bitter end because I know I'm right. But it's a reflection of the enormous change that, it, that humans and human society is undergoing and the transference of news is a core element of our human selves and it makes absolute sense that it should be in flux just as all of society is. It makes perfect sense. But it's also never been more important. There is no way to communicate with people other than through the transference news properly, with authority, with legitimacy, and with the consistency to go get people and inform them. And that's what it comes down to. That's why brands are going to have to do it. Because we are in the digital age. That's the next section. COVID's just made this so much clearer. You have to go find people. You have to be online, whether you're a concrete maker or a reporter. Digitization means the use of digital technology and data, digitized or native digital, in order to create revenue, improve business, Replace, transform business and create an environment of digital business whereby digital information is the key core. There's four types of digital transformation. This is from LinkedIn. A, business process. B, business model. C, domain. D, cultural slash organizational. The number of people around the world now using the internet is 4.5 billion, 5.4 billion. A 7% increase compared to January 2019. Mm -hmm. One and a half billion. The, uh, The majority of those speak English as either a first or a second language. Worldwide, there are 3.8 billion social media users in January 2020, an increase of more than 9% compared to the same time last year. It's still going up. And that was before COVID. More than, well, before the lockdowns happened in March and April. More than 5.19 billion people are now mobile phone users. Those using the internet, half use it via their mobile phone. If you are in places and parts of the world where the internet towers, the cell towers just arrived and so people went from zero to smartphones immediately, they think Facebook and stuff like that is the internet, which is why things can happen like in Myanmar where false information spreads and violence happens, but also information spreads. People spend 3.7 hours on their mobile phones every day. Half of that is spent opening social and communication apps. You've got to go to where people are. No matter who your brand is and no matter what your medium is. It's time to get real. Every brand needs to do this. Every company needs to do it. And they can't just do it once, twice, occasionally for an event. They've got to do it for those and they've got to do it all the time. They must be present. It's got to be time to get real after the pandemic. 67% of internet users browse more news. 51% watch more film via streaming services. 45% spending a longer time on messaging apps. And 44% spend more time on social media. That's what's happening. That is what's happening. 
That's where everybody is. Reports from Akamai states that the global internet traffic increased 30% during the pandemic. Well, we're already online quite a lot before anyway. Meanwhile, Global Web Index shows we are still spending more time on the internet compared to even early 2020. Social media users have grown more than 10% over the past year. This means more than half of the world now uses social media. More people use it than those who don't use it. Unbelievable. More than 60% of US internet users are now shopping digitally. 80% of Americans are watching more video-based content. It's the world's biggest economy. This means more Americans are expecting the usage of the connected device. Uh, sorry. This means more Americans and more usage of connected devices. Advertisers are shifting their strategy from out of home to over-the-top spending. OTT. That's what over-the-top is. It means over-traditional formats into your phone. That's what it means. That's where you have to be. Facebook reports up to a 50% increase in their messaging services. E-marketers reported 42% of respondents spend more time virtually connecting with family. 42% of respondents spend more time on stre streaming services. 32% spending longer on social media. The numbers are unbelievable. Everything, everything's up. It's not like one thing went up because of trend. It's like everything. The change that was happening anyway has just happened in the blink of an eye. In Italy, the time people spent in app suites increased 70% during the outbreak and the group and group calling increased a thousand percent in March. Yeah, it's happening everywhere. For the first quarter of 2020, subscriptions to Netflix increased by more than 15 million, smashing JP Morgan's prediction of 8 million. Well, we know why. We're all on it. Here's the quote from JP Morgan. This shows a permanent shift has taken place across the industry from linear to a digital platform. We've known this was happening. We've known everybody should have been ready. Adapt or die. That's what we said at the beginning. Companies, if they sit pretty, they are going to be seriously vulnerable. You have to do this. And I'm going to pull it back to my piece just for a moment before we go into our Final section, being an old stick in the mud, don't really like it, don't like post-COVID, it's downright dangerous. It is the death of your company. And if you've learned anything, it's downright dangerous. It's the death of your company. And if you learn anything from the digital age and from how things happen, it's the complacency, even from massive established players, is incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous and a risk to... Everything that you've built, you've just, you have to understand this. Didn't even think I'd get this passionate, but I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm holding this passion. I really mean it. Final section. Media is all, all is media. Why every company needs media monitoring? A, you wouldn't know what you're missing until B, to prevent a crisis means, means watch what you're doing to conduct market research for campaigns, to execute and adjust campaign messaging on the fly. You've got to be able to. To attribute value for the coverage created for smarter outreach. You can't know anything if you're not online. Reasons why every company needs media relations. Media relations build awareness. Media relations position your business and expertise as thought leaders. 
Media relations grow your brand's online presence. Media relations attract more business leads. They do. They do all of this. And the market's already showing it. Pre-COVID 2018, I came back and I decided, look, I hadn't set this company up yet. And um, the, the idea was still there, but I had a lot more work to do basically to, 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 to fully pass out my business plan and be ready to kind of actually pursue it. And I just threw my CV together and I was, I'm going to try these apps just because I've never been on them. And I jumped on these apps and they, I didn't get anywhere on them because it's not, you know, it, for the jobs I was looking for, it, I don't think it really was going to work. But but I did just put in some vague characteristics and the amount of roles for social media manager, it was just relentless. It was just relentless. And that teaches you. It's that people realize they desperately need this, but that's just the loosest definition. If you go and see what people are actually doing for their job when they are social media managers, they're doing everything. They're doing content creation. They're doing uh, design. They're putting graphics together, infographics. This is everything that you need. I know we work with these teams and we work with brands. We work with their marketing teams to make sure they, their work goes further. And it has to be everybody. Every company and my point really now is I've said all this and I've said it publicly, but loads of people have. Everybody's saying it. it's true. We've got to get people to listen. What if your brother, mother, father, uncle, cousin has a company and they're not listening to this? They're in trouble. Every company should be a media company itself. That's what I sell. That's why I sell it. Example, GoPro. Also to revolutionize the news industry, but before we get too into that, example, GoPro. Back then, people could stream other people's videos captured by their personal GoPro on the company's website. Got people going there. Quote from Forbes, today, successful brands think of themselves as media companies by investing in premium content that performs well on multiple platforms, cuts through audience fragmentation, and engages customers in real dialogue. There it is. It is one of the most important points I've ever seen, um, that I've ever seen made. It's actually made really, really well there. I think we're going to share that on, uh, I'm actually even going to, I'm going to make a video. Yeah. About this quote, about this quote. I'm actually going to read that one out again, because frankly, I think that is so powerful. Today, successful brands think of themselves as media companies by investing in premium content that performs well on multiple platforms, cuts through audience fragmentation and engages customers in real dialogue. From 2008 to 2017, the number of journalists fell by 23%, but the number of PR pros increased. In that period, the number of PR pros compared to journalists was six to one. Yeah, look, it's a massive industry. It's massively important. And a nice negative quote to end on that I'm going to rebut. Indeed, from Stanton, the downward spiral in the number of US journalists juxtaposed with the upward trend in the number of communications pros will force brands to become quasi-media companies. Right, number one, absolutely, they will have to become media companies. But number two, Journalism can adapt and it will adapt. Of course it will. It survived everything. People would have said the printing press would have put the town crier out of, out of business, but he didn't. Gave him a bigger voice. 
That's the difference. That's what it is. It's a bigger voice. It's a more powerful voice. Now, media companies will jockey for their position within this, for their way of actually winning in all of this. And ultimately, the best stamp of approval comes from a journalist because they have the credibility, they have the standards, they have the skills. This is the first time I guess we've gone to something that I guess I feel is, is sort of almost quite personal, but really, really intense in terms of what I do and what we do for work and what I've effectively devoted my professional life to getting out there is it's, it is this revolution. It's the idea that with a globally connected world, the, the expectation of, of making yourself a, a a quasi-media company is actually absolutely within your grasp because of people like me, because that's what I created to fill that gap. I believe in this absolutely. It's so clearly true. And it's one of those things. It's like you've got to get the message out there. It's so important. Everybody has to be able to do this. If you cannot effectively communicate that you did something, it, you may as well have not done it. And it's not good enough to say, well, the people who need to know, no, that's not good enough anymore. You've got to be able to show it, even if it's only internal communication or, or, or confidential communication with potential clients and you're selling a medical technology or, or something highly, highly B2B. It's really, really necessary. So here's the thing. I don't think it's doom and gloom for journalism and up for PR. I think it's massive win for media Overall, but it's massive change and with that massive pain. However, for those who don't, do not acknowledge the situation for what it is in all its iterations and it's all, and in all its industrial locations and in all its complexity and in all its wonder and freedom, then it's doom and gloom. Then you're in trouble. Otherwise, it, it's a golden future that is yours. And COVID obviously is an economic disaster, but it's also a moment where you can actually look at yourself, what you're doing, look at everything around you, and you can have the impetus and the momentum from everything around you to make the changes that will define the next evolution in how human society operates and how business operates. I hope you've enjoyed that today. I hope I didn't take too long to build to the conclusion. You tell me, please, give me feedback as you listen back. Thanks so much for coming and listening. Listen to the other episodes. I look forward to recording them every week. Thank you all. Bye-bye. <laughs>